Hello everybody, welcome to Time Personified. I am sitting here um, on my bed in my little homestay in Hanoi, Vietnam. I am about two weeks into a one month trip um, through the south of Vietnam. Um, so if you're noticing that there are some background noises, um, hopefully that's not something that bothers you too much. Um, there are some birds chirping around me, there may be some people walking around outside, so you might hear some people talking. I'll try to like edit that stuff out if it's too distracting, you might hear a dog bark. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm staying in this beautiful little homestay that's kind of outside of the city of Hanoi and there's just a little bamboo wall separating me from the outside world, which is actually really lovely and really relaxing for me after traveling through the big city of Da Nang for two weeks. So yeah, um, it never really bothers me when I listen to podcasts and there's background noises, um, so hopefully um, that also is true about you. Um, so yeah, um, that's where I am in life and in the world right now. That's part of why I wasn't able to make an episode for um, the new moon in Aquarius or the full moon in Leo because February was a hectic month for me. I went to, first I traveled to California early February to visit a friend and then from California I hopped on my flight to Vietnam so I've been dealing with the jet lag and the transition. I spend a lot of time in Asia um, so the culture shock wasn't too bad for me but still I was getting used to a new country and just kind of like allowing myself to experience that. Um, but this lunar cycle I have some amazing content. Um, I've been able to um, before I left for Vietnam, I recorded and released a, um, a special episode about Black History Month. Um, I had one of my good friends from college on the show. He's a fifth grade teacher and he has so much knowledge on history and Black history and social justice and stuff. Um, so we talked about some of the lesser known black historical figures in U.S. history, and that was fascinating. I highly recommend that you um, give that episode a listen to, because Black History Month is such an important, I mean, it should be more than a month. I think a lot of people are saying that, like, black history is just so deserving of our attention and our um, respect and our gratitude because if you are American or really if you're from anywhere but if you're an American um, black people have really um, so selflessly given to this country um, so yeah and then I'm also slowly working my way through this series of profiles that I'm doing on the candidates in the 2020 United States election every each candidate is getting their own episode I'm reading their birth chart and I'm kind of like going through their biographies, like telling the story of their lives. So if those, if that content is something that interests you, then definitely check that out on, you know, whatever podcast platform you're listening to me on now. You can listen to those other episodes. Uh, I'll link them in the show notes for easy access. And for, um, so for this next lunar cycle, 
I have a lot of really cool episodes coming for you. I'm going to be exploring, um, the theme I'm going to be exploring for this lunar cycle is ways that we've collectively lost touch with our ability to imagine and to dream. Um, and I'm gonna begin that discussion today by, um, we're gonna talk about the age of Pisces. Um, many of you may be familiar with like people saying like, oh, we're in the age of Aquarius. It's the dawning of the age of Aquarius. There's a whole song about it. Astrological ages are um, a really big topic within astrology. And it's a common belief that we are moving out of the age of Pisces and into the age of Aquarius currently. So I'm gonna be talking a little bit about how the age of Pisces, the last 2000 years, um, for me, I subscribe to the mentality that it was the last 2,000 years. There's a lot of schools of thought um, that are all, like, valid in some way. There's really no right answer. But I'll be talking about how the last um, couple thousand years have really shaped us today um, and what we need to be shedding and how we can move forward into the age of Aquarius. And we're also going to talk a little bit about television today because television is connected to Pisces energy and this conversation in this episode is basically just going to be planting some seeds and the conversation will continue um, next week I believe I'm going to be releasing um, an interview that I recently did with this amazing this author that I really like her name is Sarah Lyons she's the author of the book revolutionary witchcraft and we're going to be discussing capitalism and the witch trials and then I'm going to have another special episode on my I just launched a Patreon page and I'm going to be releasing some bonus content on my Patreon page and I'm going to be um, releasing a conversation that I had with my friend Julie Martin who is the founder of the Shiva Shanti project um, and we're going to be we discuss how to um, reclaim your ability to dream and reclaim your imagination so if you're interested in that you can access it for three dollars on my patreon page and um yeah if you're interested i will link that in the show notes as well so yeah as always let's start with um looking at the astrology of the new moon Still a long way to go. 
So here in Vietnam, the new moon is going to be happening on Monday morning for me. And if you are in the United States or further west than me, then you're going to be experiencing this new moon on Sunday evening, February 23rd. And the sun and the moon are both in the early degrees of Pisces. Now Pisces is the very last sign of the zodiac. And then the next sign, Aries, is the, the first sign of the zodiac. So at the end of this 30-day period, we're going to be entering a brand new zodiacal year. A lot of cultures recognize the new year as beginning during the spring equinox, the beginning of what we call in the Western world Aries season. Um, and then, yeah, there. When you study astrology, you you learn that that even though like most people in the Western world recognize January first as being the new year, um, there are so many different points in the year that can be considered the new year. A lot of people who practice paganism or witchcraft see. Halloween as being the new year. It's known as the witch's new year. Um, there's obviously the Chinese new year, which is the first new moon of the year or the lunar new year. Um, and then there is the new year on the spring equinox. And there are a few others as well. I think that um, I'm not really sure when the Jewish calendar starts, but I think their new year is like somewhere in the fall. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Who knows? Um, so yeah, so right now in Pisces season, we are in the process of completing a solar cycle. And Pisces, being the last sign of the zodiac and being the collective water sign, it contains all of the archetypes of the zodiac within itself. And so when you're in the early degrees of Pisces, I often think of kind of being in the energy of the fool. And I'm speaking about tarot right now, the very, well, it's not the first card in the Major Arcana. It's actually card zero. It's the, um, the Fool is the archetype in the tarot that goes through the journey of the Major Arcana. And the image is, the, the image of the Fool is that there is a young boy, or um, in some decks it's a young woman, and she's walking off of a cliff. <laughs> and one of my favorite tarot books is called 78 Degrees of Wisdom. And she describes the fool as making the leap into the world of archetypes. Like the cliff that the fool is walking off of is um, like the dive into the subconscious. And um, when I think of Pisces energy, like I said, it's, it's very hard to sort of pinpoint Pisces energy or Neptune energy because Neptune is the um, ruling planet of Pisces, the modern ruler. The traditional ruler of Pisces before Neptune was discovered um, was Jupiter. Um, so it's kind of co-ruled by Jupiter and Neptune. And this energy is really hard to sort of define with, with human words. Um, but the three words that I normally gravitate towards when I'm describing Pisces is imagination, dreams, and subconscious. It's the hidden parts of the human experience. It's our, um, when we imagine things, we are really connecting to our, our true power as human beings. Humans are 
incredible creative beings. Like you can conjure anything in your imagination, absolutely anything. Um, that's how powerful you are. And in some may say that we are we ourselves are being conjured through the imagination of whoever we per whoever it is that is our creator like we may be um we it's possible that we are being dreamt by some other being um and the worlds that we create through our imagination are um possibly like um sentient beings our archetypes that that we share collectively are um, they have feelings and they have experiences and it's all like it's basically like our connection to other realms and so we're just beginning this journey into the psyche we're just beginning this um, as the sun and moon are both in the early degrees of Pisces and what this time is really meant to be is this um, time that we really surrender and um, allow ourselves to descend into the depths of our own beings, of our own souls. And then come spring equinox, we're able to rebirth ourselves. Um, Pisces is connected to those later stages of pregnancy. It's connected to the, the death cycle. And then Aries is the birth. Um, and so through that cusp of Pisces and Aries, we're able to, um, you know, see that, that, that death and birth are um, so intimately connected with each other. And we, uh, we die and are reborn in so many different ways, in so many different times within our lives. Um, and then some people believe that we have multiple lives. So yeah, um, Pisces energy. Um, death, rebirth, archetypes, imagination. It's the unseen. Um, so that's where the sun and moon are hanging out. And then we have, during the time that the new moon goes exact, we have Mars conjunct the south node in Capricorn. So Mars has just begun um, his journey through the sign of Capricorn. And Mars is our human will. It's our masculine energy. Because as humans, we have both um, we have both polarities within us. If you're a woman or a man or anything, any other gender that may exist, like you have some mixture of masculine and feminine energy within you. Um, you might be a woman who has an overabundance of masculine energy, like me. Um, you might be a man with a lot of um, connection to your feminine side, or you might be like any other combination of masculine and feminine. Um, gender is such a fluid thing. Um, but our masculine side is really contained within Mars. Wherever Mars is in your chart um, can give you indications of how your masculine energy is expressed, how your ambition and your drive and your um, ability to create structure is expressed. So as Mars is beginning his journey through Capricorn, collectively, we are experiencing this energy and this energy is really um it's it's challenging us or a better word would be it's a little bird out my window that wants to say hello to you <laughs> um 
what this energy is really inviting us to do is not only think long term but to really take action on things that um move us towards like a longer term goal um because mars really initiates action and capricorn loves long-term structures um things that take a lot of time to form or master that's all connected to capricorn energy and as he um, begins his journey through Capricorn, he is going to be conjunct the South Node during the time of the new moon. And the South Node, so the nodes of the moon are the points in the moon's orbit where eclipses happen. They're always in opposite signs. The North Node and the South Node are always um, in opposite signs. So the South Node is in Capricorn and the North Node is in Cancer currently. And then in June, the nodes are going to shift into Gemini and Sagittarius. Capricorn and Cancer are opposites in the Zodiac, and then Gemini and Sagittarius are opposites. So um, wherever the nodes are um, is where we're collectively um, moving away from one energy and moving towards another energy. And the South Node is a, a really misunderstood um, energy, especially in Western astrology, usually like mainstream astrology will tell you that the South Node is like your past lives or um, your early life or in it's usually really connected to trauma. Um, and then the North Node is supposed to be like your Dharma or your purpose. In my opinion, I think that definition is a little bit too rigid for me. Um, and I personally have been doing a lot of reading and a lot of research on the nodes and how different um, cultures really interact with the nodes, like a sp um, particularly Vedic astrology that sees the nodes as the head and the tail of a dragon. Um, and I think in the Western world, we kind of cut the tail off of the dragon and focus only on the head. Like there's a lot of Western astrologers that only read the North Node, but the South Node has been really commanding our attention over the last year because it's been in this um, collection of energy that has that has been moving through Capricorn for the past year. So we have a lot of planets in Capricorn right now. And I spoke about this a lot in the very first episode of this podcast, because the first episode that I did of this podcast was the Capricorn um, solar eclipse. And so right now we have Jupiter, Saturn, Pluto, and the South Node all together in Capricorn. And um, so the, the idea that the South Node is something that we're moving away from, that we're moving away from Capricorn energy, it doesn't like really sit that well with me. It doesn't really fit for me. I think that right now the way that we are interacting with the South Node, and then also I forgot um, to kind of emphasize, Mars is also in Capricorn. So we have five energies clustered in Capricorn right now. Um, so to say that we're like shedding or moving away from Capricorn energy right now, I don't think that's totally true. I think there are parts of Capricorn energy that we're collectively releasing um, because um, Capricorn is businesses, structures, male authority. So there's a lot of energy around the patriarchy and around capitalism. Um, 
and even around things like authoritarianism and nationalism that we're really exploring and trying to collectively release from the planet. Um, but I also think that with Mars coming into contact with the South Node and with all of with, with Jupiter coming into Capricorn um, at the end of last year, I think that we're also sort of being called to um, to lean on some of the Capricorn energy. There was a podcast episode that I was listening to from one of my favorite astrologers and actually somebody who is my astrology teacher. His name is Adam Summer. Um, and he he has a podcast called Holes to Heaven. He did a show about the South Node. He calls it K2 because that's what it is called in Vedic astrology. And um, he talks a lot about trusting our ancestors um, because in Vedic astrology, the South Node is deeply connected to ancestral energy. So I think that there is somewhere in Capricorn energy that you know, we're almost completely done with this journey of the South Node moving through Capricorn. In a couple months, the South Node is going to have moved on into Sagittarius. Um, so we've really gone through this whole journey of, um, of the purging for Capricorn energy. But I think that as the South Node um, is finishing up its journey in Capricorn, I think that we're really being called to um, reclaim our trust in Capricorn energy. Um, Capricorn is a really um, misunderstood and um, it's a really misunderstood sign in the zodiac. And really like I'm talking about Pisces in this podcast episode so I don't I, I really didn't plan on like going really in depth on Capricorn energy so I'm gonna like wrap this up by, <laughs> by um, saying that um, Capricorn um, is the last earth sign in the zodiac and I think that Capricorn energy is really where a lot of our disconnect from nature is is showing up because um, we build all of these man-made structures and we take all of these um, we, we do all of these things to separate ourselves from nature we live in buildings like instead of like um, picking fruit and vegetables from the ground and um, taking what nature gives for free, we're, we're expected to um, work um, and earn money and um, buy food that has been picked and processed for us. And um, we're really going to get into this later when I do my interview with Sarah. But capitalism thrives from disconnecting us from nature. And, I, and that kind of energy has really distorted Capricorn energy. So I think the the conclusion that i want to come to here is as mars um, makes this transit over the south node and over the next month or so as we're wrapping up this journey with capricorn energy and as um, you know eventually saturn's going to move out of capricorn um, and we're the the capricorn is going to sort of lighten up after a year of like really heavy capricorn and i think what we're really being called to do is uh find our connection with the original structures that Capricorn really did represent. Because um, right now we, we use Capricorn to describe um, man-made structures, um, businesses, authority, governments, countries, but really Capricorn energy is connected to ecosystems, natural 
organization, natural structures um, that we are a part of because we are organic beings and we have really succeeded in um, uh, for we've really succeeded in building a world where we forget that but it's definitely um, something that we're being called back to um, so yeah okay another thing that I would like to point out astrologically is that mercury is currently retrograde and mercury retrograde is also another misunderstood topic within astrology uh, mercury retrograde I think is the topic in astrology that is talked about the most um, in like on social media by people who are not very familiar with astrology or just like a little bit familiar with astrology like yeah like it's it's something that is very it's get it's bring it's finding its way um, back to the collective consciousness and Mercury retrograde is a very feared event. People hear that Mercury is in retrograde and they immediately assume that it's going to cause all of these problems. It's going to cause technology to fail. It's going to cause travel to go wrong. Um, and they also, people also blame things on Mercury retrograde. Like if something goes wrong, it's like, oh, is Mercury in retrograde right now? And I think it's cool that people are um, looking up to the planets more. I think it's cool that um, we're noticing when um, energy begins to shift with the planet and we're noticing when Mercury turns retrograde and we're talking about it. But I do think that the conversation that's happening with Mercury retrograde is extremely disempowering. I don't think that astrology is meant for us to like blame things on the planets <laughs> um and mercury retrograde is not here to like mess with us mercury mercury is the trickster planet but like none of the planets are here to like mess up our lives for no reason yeah things will happen during mercury retrograde like you might come into a circle you might have a situation like where you know your technology um, messes up or like something happens with your car or whatever and and there is a it is necessary to sort of like um, proceed with a little bit more caution when mercury is in retrograde because what he really wants is for us to slow down so what we really need to do here is look at the Mercury cycle holistically. Just like we track the lunar cycles, we have the ability to track the Mercury cycles. You can track the cycle of any planet. Um, I follow the Mercury cycle, the Venus cycle, um, and then uh, I also follow these are I also follow the longer cycles like the Mars cycle, which is two years, and then the Jupiter and Saturn cycle, which are both just over a year. And um, the Mercury cycle is about 100 days. So I, I follow that one very closely and I, um, I work with it very diligently. Just the way, like the, the moon and Mercury are the planets that I work with the most personally. And Mercury retrograde is the period when the previous Mercury cycle is coming to an end and the new Mercury cycle is beginning. Um, and if you hear something strange in the background that is a rooster, a lot of people think that 
it's somebody screaming, but it's actually just a rooster, so don't be alarmed. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> um, so when Mercury first stations retrograde, our job collectively is to slow down and, and pay attention because when Mercury's retrograde, this is the period when he is the closest to the Earth and he is backtracking um, his, he's backtracking certain degrees in the zodiac that's lighting up your chart in a very specific way. Um, so if, if you, um, so I, I, f I think it's very beneficial to actually look at where the Mercury retrograde is hitting your astrology chart, or you can just tune in intuitively and you can have a conversation with Mercury and actually just ask him like what area of your life or what, um, what themes does he want you to work through during this retrograde period. And then a few days into the Mercury retrograde, there is something called an inferior conjunction, which basically mean that, means that Mercury passes in between the Sun and the Earth. So, um, you, I mean, obviously you can't see Mercury within the blinding disk of the Sun, um, but it's when you look at the sun, you can see you, you can know intuitively like, OK, Mercury is there, too. Mercury is in front of the sun. Um, and this is what can be considered a new Mercury. So a new moon is when you set new intentions for the next Mercury or so the next lunar cycle. Sorry. A new Mercury is when you have the opportunity to set an intention or plant a seed for the next 100 days or 110 days. Um, that's the typical length for a Mercury cycle. It can vary by um, one or two days. And this is going to be happening on February 25th. And what I often find happens with Mercury is that um, whatever intention or whatever idea, whatever seed you're supposed to plant, it's gonna come to you through a download. Like you might get, um, you might get downloaded with a brand new idea, or you might um, have something really crazy happen to you to let that like sparks a new idea or a new intention. Um, in my experience, Mercury usually tells you what you um, should be working on. Um, in the next Mercury cycle. And that's because, so Mercury, I'm gonna go back to the tarot now. Um, in the tarot, Mercury's card is the magician. And in the magician, the image is that there's like a, a magician and he has all of the four elements in front of him. He has the pentacles, the swords, the cups, and the wands, which represent the four elements. And he has one hand pointing up and one hand pointing down. Um, and what the, the significance of that is that when you're working with magician energy, you're basically a channel, you're a lightning rod. So things will, um, it, you're working as a channel between the heavens and the earth. Um, so working with Mercury is actually allowing yourself to be that lightning rod and to bring that mercurial energy onto the planet. Um, Mercury in Greek mythology is the only god that can travel to all of the realms and he's a messenger and 
um, when you're working with astrology, it's important to know, or it's important to keep in mind that all of the archetypes are really just different parts of you. So when you're working with Mercury, you're actually activating that messenger archetype within you. And during this inferior conjunction, if you're open to it, if you, um, if you let Mercury know that you're open to it, he will um, use you as, as a messenger and he'll give you a message for the rest of us. So I definitely recommend that you um, just work with Mercury the next couple of days and start some conversations with him and then come February 25th or maybe a few days before or after that, you'll get a message from Mercury and you'll have, um, I've, I've heard, like I have so many crazy stories of people who've like, been downloaded with ideas like the day of the inferior conjunction mercury is very timely with the way that he works he's very detail oriented so yeah let me know if you're more if you're interested in learning more about this this is one of my favorite topics to speak about within astrology and um yeah more on that later it's possible that on my patreon page i will release some bonus content about the additional phases in the Mercury cycle. So that's definitely something to check out on my Patreon page, which um, I currently have one tier and it's $3. So if you want to like <laughs> pitch in $3, I will create that content for you. Um, one more thing that I want to point out in the new moon chart, Venus is currently moving through Aries and she is squaring Jupiter in Capricorn. And the Venus cycle is 18 months, um, and we are gonna have a new Venus in June. So I'm gonna have a lot to say on the Venus cycle um, soon. But right now Venus is, she's climbing in the night sky and she's moving through the sign of Aries. And she's really independent right now. She's really strong on her own right now. and she's been encouraging us to really focus on our individual needs and whenever a planet moves through Aries over the past couple of years um, like I said we've been having a lot of Capricorn energy since 2018 all the way through 2019 and we will be working heavily with Capricorn pretty much until the end of 2020 um, and that's when Jupiter will move out of Capricorn and Saturn will be onto Aquarius as well. And so whenever a planet moves through Aries, they are making squares to the planets in Capricorn. In squares in astrology, they're 90 degree separations, and this is a point of tension. Um, so she's current, she's gonna be squaring Jupiter in the moment of the new moon. And um, what I'm seeing here is that after, um, you know, a period of really focusing on our individual needs um, and our independence in the um, feminine side of our beings, we're really going to be pulled to look outside of ourselves a little bit more. Um, so yeah, that's that. So that's the astrology of the new moon in Pisces. Um, that's the energy of the moment. And now let's expand our awareness a little bit and let's talk about the last 2,000 years of our history. Let's talk about the age of Pisces. 
So as I was explaining before, we are currently um, in our journey as a human race. We are at the cusp uh, between the age of Pisces and the age of Aquarius. So a little more explanation on, on this. There are a lot of different schools of thought of how long the astrological ages are they're measured by the movement of the vernal equinox through the degrees or through the the zodiac basically so what i mean by that is um because of the way the gravity of the sun and the moon pull on the earth um our um the earth is wobbling as it as it's as it rotates so <laughs> it's kind of like a top um so the the top of the earth is um over you know very it's from our perspective it's happening very slowly it's moving around the zodiac and that's why the that's why um every 2000 years actually the the north star changes so right now our then our north star is Polaris, but 2,000 years ago, the North Star was actually, I believe it's called Thuban, one of the stars in the Draco constellation. 2,000 years before that, it was a different star. Um, also, that's why the, um, the, the zodiac signs actually change as well. Like, the spring equinox um, is in the sign of Aries now, but it was actually in a different sign a few thousand years ago, because the Earth... Um, it wobbles, the, the angle that the earth is on changes. So um, the zodiac sign that the northern pole of the earth is pointing at, that's the age, that's the, that's the, the age that we are in. That's the astrological age. Um, oh, and it moves backwards. So um, all of the planets, as they're moving through the zodiac, they would move through Aquarius first, and then they would move through Pisces second. But um, the vernal equinox moves backwards, so that's why we are in the age of Aquarius now. Before that was the age of Pisces. Before that was the age of Aries. Before that was the age of Taurus. And there's really no definitive answer over when one age begins and the previous age ends because again these are 2000 year cycles and the school of thought that I lean towards is that there's like a gradual transition like there's like a 100 200 300 year period where we're transitioning from one age to the next one and so right now we are transitioning out of the age of Pisces and into the age of Aquarius so it's important for us to know um, to understand how the age of Pisces has shaped us um, and what parts of it we 
can take forward with us and what parts of it we can um, leave in the past. Um, so let's talk a little bit about how the age of Pisces began. And again, like there's a, there's so many different opinions about this topic and it's um, there's so many different schools of thought, but a lot of people believe that the age of Pisces began with the birth of Jesus. Um, and really it began with like the emergence of the Abrahamic religions, uh, which is, you know, something that happened very slowly over time. It started with Judaism. We don't really even know the true origins of Judaism. We can pinpoint a few um, early references to Jewish people or, or as they were often referred to Hebrew people, but we don't really know like exactly when Judaism came about. Um, the founder of Judaism, Abraham, he, we don't even, like, there's no actual historical evidence of this person. So it's very, it, it's a part of history that has been lost <laughs> to us. A lot of ancient history is, is lost and we may never actually know the real answer about them. Um, and then after Judaism came Christianity and then um, after Christianity came Islam. And um, so Jesus is widely considered to be the major figure of the age of Pisces. Um, this is like a school of thought that exists within Western astrology. It's really interesting to look into because um, there's a lot of astrologers who've written about this. There are a lot of different birth charts for Jesus. Um, the one that I really like has him born on February 28th in the year 7 BCE at 3.34 a.m. in Bethlehem. Um, because that's where he was born. Um, and in this birth chart, um, the reason I really like it is because Uranus, Jupiter, Saturn, and Venus, and the Sun are all in Pisces, and they're opposing Pluto and Mars, who are in Virgo. Um, and the Virgo-Pisces polarity is, like, there's a lot of themes in it that are also present in Christianity, um, because Jesus was born to a virgin woman, so hence the sign of Virgo. Um, and then Pisces is connected to the ocean and water. The symbol is fish. Um, and, you know, Jesus walked on water. There was a story in the Bible that I can't... There, there are now two episodes that I've referenced the story and not actually known the whole thing. But there's a story in the Bible where Jesus, like, produces fish for people. There's something related to fish in the Bible. I'm sorry about my lack of knowledge of the Bible. It's embarrassing as someone who was raised Catholic. Um, but yeah, and then he has his moon and Mercury in Aquarius in this birth chart, which is also kind of a little nod to the age of Quar the age of Aquarius that's to come 2,000 years after his death, where, um, you know, Jesus is still a very prominent figure in modern day. Um, most people at least know who he is or know who he was um, if they're not like actively following the Christian religion. Um, then he's got Neptune, which is the ruler of Pisces in his 10th house of public image. So when I look at this birth chart, um, the one on February, the February 28th one, um, I can really see the essence of like what I understand Jesus to be. And yeah, it's really interesting. Um, but yeah, the age of Pisces, um, it was a lot of things. Um, but one of the main things that, that the age of Pisces brought 
into our world is monotheistic religions. Um, and these monotheistic religions really fundamentally changed the spiritual and psychological lives of humans because most of the older religions like now this is something that we could like talk about it's very complicated because there is evidence of monotheistic religion in Egypt a long long time before any of the Abrahamic religions um, and like there's disputing about whether or not maybe monotheistic religions were actually originated in Egypt and, and Judaism was influenced by the Egyptians. I, that's a whole topic, but, <laughs> but um, for another time, um, maybe for another even podcast that's not about astrology because it's a whole thing. Um, but yeah, the older religions before um, the Abrahamic religions, they had entire pantheons of gods and goddesses and they embodied all of the complexities of the human psyche they were um, in a lot of ways imperfect um, and they were in a lot of ways very human like they were a direct reflection of human experiences especially the pantheon that i am the most familiar with would be the greek pantheon um, and like greek gods were you know, they got angry, they were lustful, they, um, they made mistakes, they would succumb to people tricking them, like they were very human. And they reflected our own humanity back to us. They still do because we still actively read and study these mythologies. They, they come about in our, um, in our pop culture. Um, because they're a reflection of our humanity. And one thing that I think the Abrahamic religions, now, like, I'm going to be very critical of the Abrahamic religions um, because my worldview is, is very critical of them. I think that there are a lot of things about them that are really dangerous. Um, I know a lot of people who have beautiful, healthy relationships with um, Judaism, Christianity, or Islam. So I'm not like saying that they're wrong. Um, I'm just shedding some light and in, in, um, bringing our awareness to some of the shadows of these very, very popular, very prevalent schools of thought. Um, the, Abrahamic, the Abrahamic religions have just one God, <laughs> this one perfect being that created all of us and I think the problem with that is that um, it takes away that ability for us to really see the um, complexities of our experiences reflected back to us in our spiritual life because one of the main functions of spirituality is that it gives us the tools to process and to cope with um especially the like the to process and to cope with human life especially the harder parts of human life and um i think that that i think that monotheistic religions first of all they project a very unattainable um image of of who we should be and they're very conditional about um, they're very conditional and judgmental about 
mistakes and, and complexities that arise in a human life. And then another thing that I kind of take issue with is that there's this sort of savior complex with um, Western or with, um, sorry, monotheistic religions, especially like the one that I'm the most familiar with is Christianity because I was raised in it. Um, and the idea that we were, the idea of being saved um, and the idea of needing to bow down to a savior, I think is very dangerous. And you can see throughout history that it causes a lot of, um, it causes a lot of violence because people who subscribe to some of these religions truly believe themselves to be like these saved people and to be these superior people. And then that has given a lot of ideological um, justification to really evil acts. Um, things like, you know, the Crusades and also things like imperialism. Um, it, it feeds evil things like white supremacy and like um, the destruction of nature uh, and um, the mistreatment of humans that are perceived to be less than and, the, and also the mistreatment of animals. And um, yeah, so I think that's, you know, it's something that we have to be very critical of in this world. Um, and again, if you're a practitioner of any of these religions, if you're a follower of any of these religions, like, please know that I deeply respect every spiritual path. Um, I could sit here and be very critical of the spirituality that I subscribe to as well. Like, I could sit here and tell you all of the things that are wrong with astrology, um, and yet I'm still a practicer of it. Um, I think that whatever spiritual path that you choose, you have to be you have to be very, very critical and very aware of the shadow of that spiritual path because it's so, it's so common throughout history that spirituality has been used to control and manipulate people. It has been used to reinforce power structures and to um, dominate people. And um, every single religion or spiritual path has a very high vibrational path and also has a very like um very dangerous way of applying it um and you could you could literally say that about any 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 religion and i also think that as we move into the age of aquarius like ditching these um monotheistic religions that that emerged over the past 2000 years that's not necessarily what has to be done like i think that these religions can move forward with us the abrahamic religions have pantheons they have pantheons of prophets saints and angels that you can connect to um and i think if we can just sort of take out the idea of submission and um being able to see um, you know, Jesus or Muhammad or Abraham as a spiritual teacher instead of a savior that we need to submit to. I think that these religions can be really powerful. Um, so yeah, that's that's my opinion on <laughs> on the Abrahamic religions. And again, like the age of Pisces is a is a very complicated time. It was a two thousand year period of history. Like you can't just like 
So I can't just sit here and be like, okay, like the age of Pisces was about the emergence of monotheistic religion. It, it was about a lot of things. A lot of things came up during the age of Pisces. Um, the main ones were first the emergence of monotheistic religion, and then there was the scientific revolution, there was imperialism, and there was capitalism. Um, it's the age of isms, <laughs> basically. Pisces energy is connected to belief systems. So it was a time when belief systems were, um, the relationship to them became a lot more um, prescriptive. Uh, these isms were sort of framed as the, the single way to do things. So I'm gonna plant some seeds now that are going to be sort of continued um, in the discussions with um, that are going to sort of be continued as you listen to the interviews that I have done um, with Sarah and then the interview that I did with Julie. Um, one thing that I've been thinking about a lot recently um, is that spirituality in the Western world, um, it really began to awaken recently with people turning towards Eastern religions, um, like with Buddhism, yoga, and meditation, people in the Western world have really started to adopt those belief systems. Um, so much of like modern New Age spirituality is dependent on Eastern schools of thought. Um, and since I practice Western astrology, I have a really deep affinity with Western spirituality, and I started to wonder why the Western world doesn't seem to connect with spirituality outside of religion. Um, because, because before Christianity and Judaism, like there is, and Islam, there is a very diverse array of, of spiritual beliefs in Europe. Um, we now label them all as like pagan, um, or witches, um, but they were, um, there were healers, there were astrologers, there were, um, deep, um, intimate connections with the earth. There were people that believed in um, and and gave offerings to fairies and other different like earth spirits. And what ended up happening to these spiritual practices is that they were basically wiped out by the witch trials. Um, and this is also uh, very connected to the age of Pisces. And we're going to talk about it a lot in my interview with Sarah, because this is a complicated time in history and it's often portrayed to us as being the result of religion it's not entirely true um what you're going to see when i um talk to sarah is that we're we're going to go more in depth about how the witch trials are actually more of an economic event than a spiritual event like it was definitely religion that gave ideological justification for the witch trials but um the suppressing of Western spiritual beliefs was really um, an effect of capitalism. And it was really how, like, we, the Europeans in, after the scientific revolution, they really, um, not only did they colonize most of the planet, they also colonized themselves. Um, and we're living with the effects of that right now. Um, and what I want to emphasize right now in this podcast episode is that the result of the witch trials is that the Western world has really lost touch with our our roots, the older religions of the West, um, because they were, you know, 
very intentionally wiped out and replaced with the monotheistic religions to benefit the people who were in control um, and who wanted to assert a great deal of control over the masses. And this is a major theme that played out in the age of Pisces. And we're currently recovering from this. We're recovering from the age of the isms, the controlling of the masses and the, um, the submission um, and the savior complex of the age of Pisces. And the age of Aquarius is really going to be about how can we um, continue this um, developing of our spiritual lives without losing control of our psychological and spiritual paths. And one of the major Pisces themes that we are dealing with and that we're working through in modern day is our relationship with our imagination um, in a world where we have um, people who are very happy to do all of the imagining for us. I'm talking about television and film, so we're going to have a little discussion about that. Okay, so let's talk about television and film. In modern day, we have these highly visual screen-based forms of entertainment. Um, we have TV, we have movies. I love TV, I love movies, I think they're great. Um, I think that they are art forms. Um, I want to very gently bring our awareness to the fact that most TV and movies, like, so, these are mediums that take a heck of a lot of money to produce. So in order to make a TV show or make a movie, you need to have, um, unless you're doing like an independent film and, and posting it on YouTube or whatever, you need to have a budget, you need to have connections, and um, you need to have, you just need to have a lot of money and power in order to do this. So because of that, TV and film are, are controlled by powerful people, and the intention of a lot of television is to pacify the masses. So, um, think about this. Millions of people spend their entire days working, they work nine to five, then they come home and they make dinner and they turn the TV on and they're usually in front of the TV for the rest of the evening. You might even be like this. You might work, and then when you're not working, like you're you're tired and you're you're watching television, um, or you're bored, so you're watching television, or you like you have the TV on. Um, I think it's like I, I read a statistic once that the television in the United States, um, the U.S. first has like on average like a, a, a U.S. house will have like more TVs than people. <laughs> um, so like if there's like four people living in the house, there's like five TVs in the house. And these TVs are on an average of eight hours a day, like eight hours a day. We're staring at TVs. Um, 
And the reason that we have gotten to this point that we've developed this heavy dependence on, on television to fill up our free time is in our society, in order for our society to remain stable, we need to be constantly consuming. We live in a capitalist world and capitalism can only sustain um, a, a society of people if those people are constantly consumers. Um, you know, some things that kind of come to mind that are really powerful examples of this is after 9-11 happened, I was really young when 9-11 happened, so like I don't remember this, but like I, I remember hearing about this like years later. Um, the message that George Bush the current president had for the United States after 9-11 was to go shopping because um, he knew if Americans stopped consuming for a long enough period of time there would be an economic crisis um, and like think about the the depth of that situation is like something really terrible happened in the United States and um, you know the it was clear to, to George Bush or it was clear to the, the government that people were going to be mourning and people were going to, um, you know, be taking time off of work. Or I remember I got pulled out of school when it happened. And, um, but we live in a world where we can't take a break from consuming and producing um, in order for, or else our, you know, the whole society that we built is gonna collapse. Like we can't take a break to grieve a national tragedy. Like I find that to be so sad, honestly. I'm currently in Asia. Um, the coronavirus is currently going around Asia and it's posing a severe threat to the local economies here because tourism um, is down, consuming is down. Um, America's gonna start feeling the effects of this soon because China is like all but shut down. Um, they're a major producer of goods that are consumed by Americans, the goods that fuel the American economy. Um, and, you know, if, if production or consumption stops for long enough, there's going to be a major global economic crisis. Economists are very worried about this. Um, so I want to bring your awareness to just how delicate a capitalist economy is um, and how important it is for, for the people in power that we just continue consuming. Um, this is capitalism. Again, like um, in the interview I do with Sarah, we talk a lot about capitalism and it's very heavily critical of capitalism. Um, so <laughs> I will allow that discussion to continue there. Um, so yeah, television is deeply connected to Pisces energy and Neptune energy. Again, Pisces energy is connected to dreams and our imagination. It's our ability to connect to our true nature as powerful, creative beings. Um, like I was saying at the beginning of this episode, your imagination is insanely powerful. Um, and also your abilities to create. Um, you know, it really bothers me when people say like, oh, I'm not a very creative person because I'm like, well, then you're, you're not a human if <laughs> you're not a creative person. Human beings are creative. It is, if you were born as a human, which if you're listening to this, I'm like 98% sure that you're a human. Like you were born, like creativity is your birthright. It's not something that you have to go to a school to learn. It's not something that you need a bunch, you, you don't need any training. Like 
you just are creative and everyone's creative in their very own unique way um but you are creative and um i get really revved up about this subject because my background's in theater and it really bothers me when um the arts are portrayed as something like that only a few people can be good at that only if like there's like this elite group of people that are like born talented or born special and the truth is that they're just like privileged enough that they get to engage in activities that are seen as frivolous in our society um and we're led to believe that it only belongs to a, a specific group of people who are able to like attend the ballet academies or go to art school no it belongs to all of us and whatever art that you're creating or whatever whatever you're create like if you view it as creativity and if you view it as art that's what it is as humans we also have this natural connection to narrative and to stories and we crave it like we crave um meaning in our life through narrative um we crave for life to make sense this is one of the main reasons that mythology has existed for you know many many th thousands and thousands of years is because mythology is a way for us to make sense of our lives and television has really been able to um profit off of our art first of all our need to connect with narrative and for our lives to make sense also with our need to um sort of escape our reality through um engaging with stories and through like stepping into a new reality and to um experience emotions in a very safe and controlled way um this is something that you know that's the reason we go to the theater or we listen to stories like it, it's catharsis like it's a part of our psychological health and yeah like we have a tendency in this world to outsource our imaginations to television um so one thing i'm doing during pisces season is i'm challenging myself to spend less time watching netflix which is easy because i mean first of all i'm traveling but um so like i have plenty of things to keep me busy um but also just like when i'm not like out sightseeing not like watching netflix um when i'm in periods of rest just kind of like allowing myself to sit in silence and to sit in nature um when i do consume media i'm trying to consume more non-visual media media that doesn't involve staring at a screen um, because one of the issues that i have with television is that it kind of gives us the whole like it doesn't allow our imagination to participate in it when you listen to a story through a podcast or when you read a book you're you're picturing the events in your head your imagination is engaging with the story you're co-creating um television doesn't allow a lot of opportunity for us to co-create um so and again like it's okay to watch tv sometimes like i do it all the time but like um uh, making sure that our media is a little bit more diverse that we're also going to the theater because theater is only partially visual theater um has us fill in some of the gaps with our imagination because obviously like no matter how advanced the technology is like the theater can't be as immersive an experience as like film um i'm also being mindful about writing down my dreams and and just journaling a lot 
um, Pisces is connected to dreams and um, you know I probably don't have to tell you that your dreams have really powerful messages for you and I think that that more so applies to um, this time of the year so that's the challenge I'm going to pose to you for the next lunar cycle um, to consume more non-visual media read some more books um, listen to some more podcasts and audiobooks and just like give your imagination opportunities to play um, and yeah make sure that you subscribe to this podcast because I have a lot of you know content coming out for you over the next season um, check out my patreon page if that's like something that interests you um, there's some exciting things happening astrologically this spring and summer and I would like to guide you through all of it um, I sell readings on my website if you want to have a more personal discussion about how the astrology is playing out in your life and yeah I'm gonna let you go and celebrate the new moon um, you know however it is that you like to celebrate it go set your intentions get ready for the new mercury and i hope that you have a lovely um week so thank you for being on this journey with me and go enjoy this beautiful dreamy wonderful watery season
joy and sorrow, and there's still 